Today is part three of living free from anxiety. <clears throat> this is Believer's Meeting, October 13th, 2018. And I'll very quickly summarize <clears throat> kind of what we talked about last time. If you haven't, if, if you missed the last two sessions, you can always go back on um, the website and listen to it. And there's a couple of CDs over there on the table as well. Um, so if if you need to go back and catch up with us, this will mean a lot more to you if you missed the last couple of sessions. So that's available to you. Um, last time, one of the things we talked about, uh, we talked about another cause of anxiety, which is um, <clears throat> not trusting God to accomplish things, and then we get out in front of him, and, and we, we try to uh, help him out and, and get involved with our own human effort to make things happen. And this can often... Uh, lead to anxiety and even create more problems that, to deal with than we, we even had to begin with. <clears throat> we also looked at Philippians chapter 4 where Paul gave us a list of things to fix our minds on and, and to help discipline our minds. Uh, the things that are good, honest, pure, perfect, good report. Uh, think on these things. So if it's not good report, if it's not good, if it's not honest, if it's not pure, if it's not true, then don't think about it. Change the channel. Change the channel. And unless you were taught the word uh, from a young age, you spent years thinking and talking like the world. So it's very easy and very quickly uh, we develop these negative thought patterns and we begin to be swept downstream in this negative downward spiral that the world is going in. Uh, but there are things we can uh, eliminate that trigger anxiety and those are some of the things that we've talked about. We talked about uh, trusting God to accomplish things and not taking on the responsibility of uh, trying to figure things out, when, when's this going to happen, where, why, how, all these things, they, they, these things just trigger anxiety. Uh, we talked about uh, don't think about the past, it's already gone. Don't think about the future, it hasn't even happened. And um, we're learning to realize what's really important, what, what's really important and what is a total waste of time to get upset about. So if we can eliminate some of these things uh, that trigger anxiety, that's going to be a, a big step. But, you know, we didn't get this way overnight, and, and it may take a little while of uh, retraining our mind and disciplining our mind and developing new thought patterns, you know, to, to begin to walk in the, and experience the peace and the rest of God 
that he's made available to us. So don't get discouraged, uh, you know, as you go about this. Uh, in verse 9 of Philippians 4, he said, The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. So, uh, don't get discouraged while you're uh, putting these things into to practice. If we didn't have what it takes to live in this high-pressured modern world, we would have been born at some other time. So, so God knew what we were going to... Uh, uh, be dealing with here in these end times. Now let's turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And we're going to look at what Jesus taught about worry. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So here Jesus is talking about two different systems, treasures in heaven, treasures on earth. Two different systems with two levels of value and two levels of priority attached to them. Treasures in heaven, treasures on the earth. Now, uh, things are to be eternal value, what he calls here treasures in heaven. Uh, things of eternal value, they don't corrupt. They don't diminish in value. They can't be stolen. They're secure. Uh, they never diminish. As opposed to treasures on earth, which are insecure, and they're subject to being stolen, and they're subject to losing value, and they're temporary. So he's contrasting these two uh, value systems. Now that's not to say that you can't have savings accounts and investments and things like that. It's not saying that at all. But he is saying we can't put our trust in them. Because these things are, uh, you know, they can be gone very quickly. They can lose value and diminish in their value very quickly. They can even be stolen. Um, I think it's somewhere in Revelation. It, it says uh, Babylon, which represents this human world system that's run by the devil, that's going to collapse in one hour. If I, if I remember properly in Revelation, this, this whole system is going to collapse in one hour. And all these evil rich people, they're going to be crying and moaning and wailing and weeping and, they, and it's, it's tells you in Revelation how they're weeping and mourning over Babylon. Oh, we're lamenting over Babylon. Our treasures are gone and all, you know. But that whole system, it's going to just go like, like that. So, so there's nothing 
wrong with having investments in this earthly realm. We just don't want to trust in them because they're very insecure and they're very unstable. So uh, Jesus is saying if you put too much value uh, and you really treasure these things here on the earth, if you're threatened with the possibility of losing them, it's going to upset you. And it's going to upset you more than it should, you know. Uh, because if you're, Jesus said, he goes on here to say in verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So whatever you treasure the most, that's where your heart is. And if you've placed too much value and too much significance on something here uh, in, in this, these earthly treasures, uh, then if you're at risk of losing them, you're going to be uh, upset about it more than you should be. And you're going to be upset like the world is upset about it. Uh, so he's saying we shouldn't let the, we shouldn't attach too much value. We need to keep the priorities in their right perspective, and not place too much value on these earthly treasures. Because people, you know, if they lose these treasures, they develop health problems. They get bitter and angry and resentful about it because they place too much value on something, and now they've lost it. You know. But, but uh, our tithes, our offerings, things that when we invest in eternal things, your time, your talent, your gift, gifts, your service to God and his people, these are things that you're investing into a heavenly bank account in heaven. And these things are secure. And they're never going to diminish in value. And you're never going to lose them. So these are the things that are, that, that are more important and we're never going to lose these things. Now he goes on in verse 24, and I will add, this heavenly bank account, we have access to it now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to access it, but we're making investment deposits into it. We just made a deposit right now with our finances, but there's lots of other ways you can make deposits into your heavenly bank account, and Jesus didn't say we had to wait till we got to heaven to access it. We can have access to at least some of it right now. Verse 24, um, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So money is just a necessary tool. It's a it's, uh, it's an exchange for services. It's an exchange for commodities. Uh, it's a necessity. Uh, but it's to serve us, and we're not to serve it. So if money's not a treasure to you and somebody takes it, then it won't upset you as much as it would upset some other people. If you trust God, you know he's a God of recompense, and there's more where that came from, plus interest. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat, and the body 
more than raiment. Now this word, when he says, take no thought, the word thought here is um, the same Greek word translated anxious and careful over in Philippians 4. So he's saying, take no anxious thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall you put on? Is not the life more important than food? And the body more important than raiment? So what he's talking about here is teaching us what's really important and what's not so important. And to, to attach the right priority to these things so that uh, we're not anxious about them and they don't cause anxiety in our lives as a, as a result of having the wrong priority attached to them. The Living Bible says in verse 25, don't worry about things. Food, drink, and clothes. For you already have life and a body. And they are far more important than what to eat and wear. So in this whole discourse, Jesus um, is talking about recognizing what's really important and what's not so important and what is a waste of time to worry and get upset about. So life is important, food not so important. You only got one life, you only got one body. That's important. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So we only got one body. That's important. We only got one life here on earth. That's important. Clothes, temporary. They wear out. You get tired of them. You discard them. Uh, they get dirty. You have to wash them. And over time, they wear out. Uh, fashions change. So clothes come and go. You can, you can change clothes. Clothes are not so important. Uh, I will say, uh, as the body of Christ, I believe we should do the best we can in the way we dress, and we should represent God in the way we dress, but we shouldn't be obsessed about it. You know, I've got to have the latest color, or I've got to have the latest, you know, fashion or whatever. Just, we shouldn't be obsessed about these things, but I do believe we should do our best in the way that we dress and represent God. Uh, food. Uh, not so important it be, in that you leave food laying around for a few days, it's going to rot. It's very temporary. It goes off. It, it will rot. Um, you know, so, so it's not as important as your life. It's not as important as your body. Food rots, you throw it out, you get, you get more. You, you leave, if you don't eat it straight away, it's going to rot. So it's very temporary. Let's say this together. The Lord is showing me, Lord is showing me what, is priority, what is priority and what is a total waste of time to get upset about. Verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather 
into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? So he's still talking about what's valuable and what's important. He's saying, you're more valuable than birds. If I can provide for birds, and they're not so important, I can provide for you. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, there's that word thought again, or care or worry, can add one cubit unto his stature? I like the voice translation. It says, worrying does not do any good. Who here can claim to add even an hour to his life by worrying? So, as a matter of fact, worrying will probably take an hour off your life instead of adding an hour to it. So, um, worry is like a hamster on one of these wheels. You know, have you seen a hamster on one of these wheels? They're very busy, they're very active, but they're not getting anywhere. And that's the way worry does when you got these things going over and over in your mind. It keeps you busy, but it gets you nowhere. Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. So there's the word thought again. Why take ye thought? Why take ye care or uh, worry about raiment? So he's still talking about things that are important uh, and things that are not as important and are a waste of time to get upset about. Uh, he says, I can provide food and clothes. Verse 29, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? So he's all, all through this discord, he's still talking about uh, things that are important, things that are not so important. Not so important food, clothes, birds, grass. Grass is here today, gone tomorrow. You cut it today, a week from now, you got to cut it again. It's, it's changeable. Um, he says, you're more important than the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. So God wants us to assume that he will provide food and clothes and not spend a lot of time thinking about it. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, there's the word thought again, take no anxious thought or no worry, saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. So he's saying don't be anxious by questioning God's ability to provide. Now this is exactly what happened to the Israelites uh, when they left Egypt. They, they witnessed the, the sea rolled back and there was water probably hundreds of feet high stacked up and they walked to the other side on dry ground. They didn't even get their shoes muddy and they witnessed the water closing back in on their enemy. Tons, tons of water fell in on the enemy 
drowning them. And within a few days, they were, you know, they, they, quite, they had pretty short-term short memory, you know. Uh, in, in one day, they supernaturally went from being slaves to being free to being healed and to having money in their pocket. And one day, supernaturally, after 400 years of slavery, then within a few days, they're out in the wilderness. Where's God going to get this? And how's he going to get that? And where are we going to get so-and-so? And Moses, you brought us out here just to let us die and to kill us. And they, they went on and on about this complaining and questioning God about his ability to provide for them. They said, if you go to Psalm 78 and read the whole chapter, it goes into this in detail, exactly what they said. They said, can God provide a table in the wilderness? You know? And um, they were really, in this continual complaining and questioning God about his ability to provide for them, the Bible says God was wroth. And I mean, it got up his nose. You know, pretty, after a few days of that, it was really getting up his, his nose, you know? So, verse 32. After all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Uh, the New Living Translation says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So we need to assign our daily provision its rightful correct priority, and it shouldn't dominate our thoughts. We need to be able to trust God with these things that are not so important and assume that God's going to take care of these things. Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's say this together. Seek God first, Seek not security. Not security. Verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The whole bottom line here that Jesus is driving at is that we were created to live one day at a time. That's the whole, that's, this is a roundabout way of saying we were created to live one day at a time. And the Living Bible actually brings that out in this verse. It says, so don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. So we shouldn't be as worried and upset about things like the world gets upset about. We look at things through the lens of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk for just a few minutes here. I haven't touched on this at any point during this study. But I want to just talk a few minutes about the effects of stress and anxiety on your body. When a person becomes anxious 
and stressed and pressured, uh, your brain sends signals to your body to release certain hormones that we call stress hormones. Um, the most common one we, we know of, the most familiar one to us, is adrenaline. And, and it's what prepares your body to react to an emergency. And um, it's called fight or flight. Uh, in our generation, we don't have to run from wild animals and things like that, you know, in, in ancient times. We do still have wicked people here like they did in, in ancient times, but most of our pressure today comes from living in a crazy, mixed-up world that's not following God. That's where most of our pressure comes from. Now, in the, in the absence of an emergency, if your body continues to release these hormones out into your system when there is no emergency. Uh, and as a result, uh, over the long term, it can increase the risk of certain chronic physical conditions in your body, these, this constant release of these stress hormones. Some common effects of stress and anxiety on your body. Headache, muscle tension or pain, chronic pain, chest pain, increased heart rate. Uh, Jesus said, you know, one of the signs of the end times, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Luke 21, 26, men's hearts failing them for fear. I believe that can be physically, it could also be spiritually. Heart, heart failure, heartburn as a result of excess stomach acid, fatigue. Uh, it can increase the risk of diabetes because your liver produces too much glycogen, which is then converted into glucose. Worsening of asthma symptoms, stomach upset, including irritable bowel disorder. Uh, stress affects the way food moves through your body. Sleep problems. According to a survey in 2012 by the American <laughs> Psychology Association, stress keeps more than 40% of adults lying awake at night. Here in the UK in 2015, there were 70 million days lost from work each year due to anxiety, depression, and stress-related conditions. 70 million days. That's the entire population of the United Kingdom. According to the Mental Health Foundation, 46% of people with the above also had a long-term physical health problem. So the, the body begins to break down when it's been under the influence of these negative, um, you know, these negative influences over a long period of time. In 2014, a survey in England found one in six report anxiety or depression in a given week. Effects on the immune system. 
Over time, if these stress hormones are regularly released out into your body, they can weaken your immune system and they make you more susceptible to viral infections, inflammatory processes, and as a result, <coughs> it can take you longer to get over uh, infections and illnesses and injuries. Weakening your immune system. Effects of stress on your mood. Anxiety, restlessness, lack of motivation or focus, difficulties with school, work, or socializing, feeling overwhelmed, irritability or anger, sadness or depression, overeating or undereating, angry outburst. And all of this is confirmed by the Word of God. Write this down. Proverbs 17.22. Proverbs 17.22 confirms this. The God's Word translation says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but depression drains one's strength. The contemporary English version, the CEV, says, if you are cheerful, you feel good. If you are sad, you hurt all over. The message translation says, a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. I'd say all those surveys pretty well confirm that, don't they? The Lexham English Bible says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit will dry out bones. So let's, let's look at the cure for this. Entering the rest of God. And I believe that includes rest for the body and the soul. So let's turn over to Genesis 1. We'll look at rest for the body. Genesis 1. Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, or resources. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God here gives Adam responsibility over all the earth, everything that moves, swims, crawls, flies. This is a big responsibility. This is a big job. Chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And I want you to notice something here. Uh, Adam was created on day six. Day seven, God rested. So, the very first day Adam spent on this earth was a day of rest. His very first 24 hours on this earth was a day of rest. God could have said, Boy, I've just given you this, uh, this big job. I want you out here at 6 in the morning and I want you to hit it. You know? No, he said, your first day here, you get the day off. You get to rest. Now, we live in a generation that never rests. And it's taking its toll on people. Even when they're off from their job, they're at home working, or they're doing hobbies, or DIY, or they're traveling. And when they've had two days off, they go back to work Monday, and they're tired. Uh, people come home from work again. Uh, their kids come home from school. They've got football practice. They've got ballet lessons. They've got uh, piano lessons. They've got gymnastics. They've got uh, Boy Scouts. And they all come home and they throw a pizza in the oven and they all collapse in bed and they get up the next morning and they start all over and they do it again. This is a kind of generation that we're living in. Kids, adults, retired people, uh, and I believe this lack of not observing a God-ordained day of rest is responsible for some of, these, of the great increase we have seen in these chronic uh, physical conditions caused by stress. When I first did my training in laboratory medicine, there were probably five or six autoimmune diseases maybe five or six. Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, that was about it. Three, two, three or four more, more rare ones. Today, there are probably 10 times that many, probably 50 or 60. Uh, and hundreds, hundreds of tests. We hardly had any tests <coughs> back then. We, we had a couple of very primitive tests. And as a result, they weren't very reliable. The results weren't very reliable. Uh, very primitive, but today there are hundreds of tests for all these autoimmune diseases, inflammatory vasculitis, and all these inflammatory diseases that didn't even exist when I first started training. And I believe a lot of it has to do 
with, with the stress and anxiety, and it's catching up with people. You know, uh, you know, you think people in the body of Christ, maybe if they just got enough sleep and rest, and they just made some adjustments to their diet and their lifestyle, and they forgave everybody that's ever done them wrong, it'd be interesting to know how many of them would just find their symptoms go. You know what I mean? That their symptoms just, just might go. And I'm not being legalistic about, uh, you know, this resting, but God has ordained a day of rest. And I'm not being legalistic about it, and I'm not saying it has to be a Sunday. But when is the last time you rested all day and you didn't travel anywhere and you didn't work, you didn't do any work and you didn't do any play? You just sat at home and you talked about the things of God and you put on some nice praise and worship music, you know, and you just sat in the presence of the Lord and, you, you know, you just let the peace of God rule in your heart all day. That, that's a, what's really what's supposed to happen when people go on holiday, but that's not so much what really happens anymore. They're water skiing and they're scuba diving, and you know, I'm not against that, but but I'm just saying this is catching up with us. And I realize if you have little kids, you are not going to sit down in a chair all day and not move. I understand that, you know, but we can begin to regulate our activities you know maybe let one of you take the kids out and the other one gets to spend two hours just resting and sitting in the presence of the lord and then switch the other one takes them out for two hours and you get to spend two hours in the resting in the in the presence of the lord you can work out something but but don't cram every day full of activities you know what i mean Every day off shouldn't be just crown-packed with some kind of activities. This, this is catching up with us. Now let's turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest. For we which have believed do enter into rest. The Amplified Classic says, for we who believe, that is we who personally trust and confidently rely on God, enter that rest. The rest of God is a place. It's a place. And let's turn over to Psalm 91. And I believe that place of rest is Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. It says, He that dwelleth, or stays, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. 
My God in him will I trust. And it's also interesting to note all, all the rest of those promises in that psalm, primarily protection, is all connected to verse 1 and 2, staying in that secret place of the Most High, in that place of rest. All the rest of the, those promises in psalm, are, psalm 91 are connected to that. The Amplified Classic says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, on Him I lean and rely, and in Him I confidently trust. This is talking about a place in the presence of the Lord where we're free from worry and anxiety and fretting and not trying to figure everything out. You know, uh, some people just have, you know, personality that, that they have to be in control of everything. They have to be in control of every situation. And I've, I've heard Joyce Meyer you know, she seems to be that kind of person. And I think she always had a problem. Uh, she had to, and still is, a lot. She has everything planned out, and buddy, it better go that way, you know. And she's just one of these people, intense, strong personalities. And she wants, you know, some people just want to be in control of everything. And when they sense they're losing control of everything, they also lose their peace. And peace is, is one of the indications, you know, or the lack of peace is one of the indications that we've moved out from under the shadow of the Almighty and we've moved out from this place of resting in God. So we need to be sensitive to our lack of peace and correct the problem and then move back into this place of rest under the shadow of the Almighty. So let's hold our place there in Psalm 91 because we're going to come back to it here in a minute. <clears throat> but while our flesh and emotions want to scream and run wild, which they do, uh, you know, instead of running around like a chicken with our head cut off and what are we going to do, what are we going to do, we can remain steady and calm and cool in the rest of God. And instead of just, you know, we, we tend to just jump up and start rebuking the devil, you know, I bind you, and, and that's, you know, there's a place for that, you know. But sometimes, instead of just automatically jumping up and rebuking the devil, we should just turn to God and say, Lord, I put my trust in you. You're my, my refuge and my fortress. And, and I'm trusting in you. That's my, first, that's my first step. I'm trusting in you. And we need to get a revelation of our place. Our place, as the Bible says, we are seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And you will, you will notice, as far as I know, and I haven't looked it up precisely, but as far as I know, there's only one place in the New Testament that says Jesus was standing 
Everywhere else in the New Testament, it says he is sitting down. Now that's a place of rest. But I realize we can even be sitting down and our mind is not resting. You know, we can be resting physically maybe and we're seated, but our mind is still going. But the only place it says Jesus was standing is in the book of Acts. You know, when Stephen was stoned, and it says he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Everywhere else in the New Testament, Jesus is sitting down, and it says we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. So we've already been put in a position of rest. If Jesus is resting, then we should be resting. You know, if he's not upset about this situation, then maybe we shouldn't be upset about it. You know, we, we take our lead from him. Um, in uh, Luke 21, 19, we won't turn there. Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, In your patience, possess your souls. So we can speak to our soul just like Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves out there. When your mind is in an uproar, and your emotions are screaming in an uproar, we can speak to them just like Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still. No, no, you're not coming in. Amen? So our spirit can rise up and take possession over our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now, if you turn over a couple of pages to Psalm 94, 12 and 13 says... Blessed, uh, well, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. Blessed with wisdom and prosperity is the man whom you discipline and instruct, O Lord, and whom you teach from your law or your word, that you may grant him power to calm himself and find peace in the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked and ungodly. In a, in a, uh, that's Psalm 94, 12, and 13. Uh, in adversity, the devil is digging a pit and he tries to talk you into jumping into it. He tries to talk you to get, just give up and jump in the pit here. Just forget about it. But instruction in the Word gives us the power to keep ourselves calm in the day of adversity and wait patiently on the Lord for our deliverance. And when we've come through that adversity and we've come out on the other side, then we can speak to the devil and we can make him jump in the pit that he was trying to make us jump in. He, he's dug the pit for his own destruction and we can make him jump in that pit instead of us jumping in the pit, which is what he wanted. We can, this says we have the power to hold ourselves calm in the, in the days of adversity. Let's turn over to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
The word rest in the Greek means pretty much the same in English. It means to refresh, to take a breather, to get away from something. And the only way to really quieten our mind and settle it down and to get our inner man settled down and refreshed is to schedule some time alone with the Lord. If you're, if you're going to drive from here to Scotland, you're probably not going to get in the car and drive six straight hours and not stop and rest somewhere and, and get refreshed. You're probably going to stop at one of these service places, I call them a rest stop, and you get out and you walk around and you stretch your legs and you get something to eat and you get something to drink and you get some fresh air and you walk around and you get refreshed and revitalized so you can continue your journey and you get in the car and you go to the next rest stop. And the same is true spiritually, mentally, and physically. We, we, we can't just keep plowing day after day after day uh, with, with no rest and no, uh, no refreshment. Let's write this down. The fruit of believing and trusting God is rest. The fruit of believing and trusting God is rest. Now let's turn over to 1 Peter 5. We're, we're kind of uh, closing here. 1 Peter 5, this is one of our main scriptures, so we definitely can't finish without talking about 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble, yourself, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now this word cast is not a passive word. It has a violent aspect to it. It means to violently throw or fling or hurl something. To violently throw or fling or hurl something. It's the same word used in Luke 19 where uh, it talks about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He sent for the cult and they Disciples went and got the colt and brought it to him. And the Bible says that people cast their garments on the colt for Jesus to sit on. Now this describes a traveler, somebody who's been walking, traveling, and they've been carrying a heavy backpack or a heavy load for a long time. And they're getting, you know, more tired and more weary. And they would take this backpack or this heavy load off and they would fling it or cast it over onto the back of a donkey or a, a ox or a horse or a camel and they would take this load off of themselves and they would cast it over on this camel or donkey and let them carry the load. So that's, this is the same word cast. So 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that our shoulders 
are not big enough to be carrying these heavy loads. And we're to cast our cares and our worries and anxieties about daily, the cares of this life. That's what the uh, King James Version, I think it's in Mark 4, talks about the cares of this life. We're to fling them and throw them over on the shoulders of Jesus and let him carry them. That's, that's, that's what we do. We let Jesus carry our cares, for he careth for us. Now, uh, did I tell you to hold your place in Psalms? Okay. Uh, the Old Testament counterpart of 1 Peter 5, 7 is found in Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, 22. It says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Again, the word cast here, it means the same thing it means in Greek. To throw out, th to throw down, to cast something down, to cast it away, to cast it forth, to cast it off, to cast it out, to hurl, pluck, or throw. So again, this is not a passive word. So we, we got to get some positive violence here. We, we're, we're, we've, we've used negative violence in the past, but we, we need to get uh, violent in a positive way about casting this care off and, and leaving it on, uh, on uh, Jesus. If I, if I take this pen, if I was really, if I was really going to cast it according to the Bible, I would violently throw it. But if I cast it over onto Rosemary, now she's got it and I don't. It, as long as Rosemary's got that pen, I don't have it. So, but I, I could take it back. <laughs> And that, unfortunately, that's what we tend to do. We'll cast these things on the Lord, and 15 minutes later, we go back and we get it again, you know. But if we truly cast it on the Lord, then I don't have it anymore. Rosemary's got it. So if we cast our cares on the Lord, when the devil comes along and says, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? You say, hey, I don't have it. Go talk to Jesus about it. He's got it. He's, he's carrying this for me. You, you talk to him about it. Now I can assure you the devil does not want to talk to Jesus about anything. That will be the end of the conversation. And he will go. He will go. The Amplified Classic uh, in Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be, re to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. The message translation says, pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. 
He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. The Wycliffe translation says, Cast thy care or thought or busyness on the Lord, and he shall nourish and protect thee. Yea, he shall not allow the righteous to be moved or shaken. So, we need to, uh, you know, I want us to make decisions here, and I want us to go out and begin to put these things into practice. And we've got to be doers of the word. You know, Jesus talked about two men. Uh, one he called a wise man who built his house on a solid foundation, a, a rock, which symbolizes the word of God. And another man he called a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And a storm came and hit both houses. And the Bible says the, the, the one built on sand was washed away. But the one built on the rock, it said, he said, the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and it could not shake it. It didn't say he, it would not shake it. It said the storm could not shake that house. So I want us to make a decision. We're not just going to keep putting up with these things. You know, we're going to begin to put the things we've learned into daily practice. The past is gone. The future hasn't even happened. Uh, what's important? What's a waste of time to, to get upset about? Uh, trust God to, uh, to accomplish things, and we're not responsible for the hows and the whys and the whens and the wheres. Amen? So I want us to, to really make some decisions here about becoming doers of the word, and, and we're going to put these cares over on the, the shoulders of Jesus and let him carry them, and we're not going to take them back. Amen?